Hey everybody, here we are, and it's it's worth noting that while this is coming out some weeks after the fact, it is very rare that we get to toast to the demise of a a cultural iconoclast, as it were. And as of yesterday, for those of you date checking, Bill O'Reilly has been outed at Fox News. And yes, it took them 15 years. And yes, it took a number of women coming forward about sexual assault. And yes, all of that is terrible. And it feels bad celebrating that all of that happened. And so we're not. But we are celebrating that finally, because of capitalism, Fox News did something about it. So here's to Al Franken, the book that he wrote 20-ish years ago about how awful that man was, and all the rest of us for not having Bill, I've been wanting to pour a 40 out on the grave of your career since it began. <laughs> and, and we this got, one's to you. We got two 12s instead. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Mix Six. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is our podcast where we have six conversations while we drink six beers uh, because we like beer and conversation helps fill the time in between sips. It's mostly that we like beer. Yeah, Let's I mean, totally honestly, honest, yeah, right. it's sort of a rationalization, but that's what addiction's all about. Anyway, I'm glad you're listening to us, whether this is the free version or the Patreon version. And, uh, or th- somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're new to this, uh, we do a five-point rating system where we rate the beers we are having. Uh, and we change what those five points represent every single time. So, Spencer, you've come up with this one. Uh, let me let me hear about it. Yeah, so this is a crushingly good rating system. Not to toot my own horn, but absolutely to celebrate myself in this moment. So, the rating system works on a one to five scale, as Caleb already suggested. A one is a, the worst beer you've ever had. You want nothing to do with it. A five is a life-changing beer. It's something which transforms your aura, your being, your ontology. All right? So, I have decided that given the last couple of weeks in particular, not that we haven't had nearly 100 days of this genius, but given the last couple of weeks in particular, our rating system today is Sean Spicer Flubs. Okay? (laughs) Sean Spicer Flubs. So before we start, is a one the worst flub? So, or is a one the most innocuous flub, okay. and a five the largest flub? Yeah, it's that. So oh, a, that one? Okay. a one is like a bad flub, but it's but it's like it's like meh, it's a flub. It's by know? size of flub. That's right. It's by size of flub. Okay. So if you drink a beer, it, it's by amount of impact, right? That the, the sheer beer, mass of the gaff. That's right. If you will, how much right. the news cycle became about the flub. That's yeah. absolutely right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Th- these are all good ways of contextualizing this. So a one, a beer that you don't want to have anymore, and by extension. In context, a very small but nonetheless significant flub is the time Sean Spicer tweeted his own passwords. Okay? <laughs> it's, it is sort of adorable. It's, really it's like, cute. oh, Grandpa. Right. Oh, come on. Oh, you did it again. Oh, you got an iPhone? Cool. Okay. <laughs> a two, which is like, you know, it's not a great beer. You certainly don't want to drink it again, but it's better than that thing that just wrecked you is when Sean Spicer kicked reputable news sources like the BBC and the New York Times out of the press briefing and instead held a smaller, more intimate, private setting. Right? Yeah, he's telling them to get off his lawn. You That's kind right. of expect it from a man his age, right. but you, know, you're, you are starting to think about homes. It, it was flub-like, but it was also like, eh, yeah, it's a flub, it's stupid, but there are worse things he's done. For example, a three, <laughs> which is like your prototypical run-of-the-mill, you could drink this beer all the time, okay, but it's not changing your life life it's your go-to 
Day one on the job, Sean Spicer defends the inauguration crowd as the largest <laughs> crowd ever. Yeah, that's that's when we officially bleed into Soviet disinformat. That's like, right. That's like, where Baghdad Bob. Stalin is physically right. the father of everyone in Russia. Don't question it. That's right. Despite all of the tangible proof that there's never been a more false claim in history, Sean Spicer got up there with Refuted some bravado. numbers. Yes, that's right. And pictures, you know? <laughs> Actual, not charts. illustrated pictures, okay? <laughs> A four. Now, this is where beers are getting pretty good. You're gonna you're gonna seek this beer out. You want more of this beer. It hasn't changed your life, but hot damn, this is a good beer. A four is when Sean Spicer said, in response to a question about President Trump's connections to Russia, if the president puts Russian salad dressing on his salad tonight, somehow that's a Russia connection. <laughs> because, like, fuck yes for salad metaphors is how I feel about that. <laughs> also, a deep pull, and also. Demonstrably untrue, because who the fuck goes to Russia for salad? No, what I've never heard of Russian salad. Like, if you're if you're yeah. pulling some Russian salad dressing, like right. it seems like a Russian connection. You seem like yeah. you're I, buying local. Like, I don't like Russian dressing, and I forgot that Russian dressing was a thing until Sean Spicer made Sean Spicer made that joke, and I was like, oh, well, that's just, just call him spicy from now on. Yeah, sure, spicy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we should pull the John Oliver and just refer to him as Melissa McCarthy, <laughs> which is like one of the best running gags on television. Okay, so then a five. This is a beer that changes your life. This is a flub that changes history. When Sean, excuse me, when Spicy forgot that Hitler used chemical weapons in the Holocaust and referred to concentration camps as Holocaust centers. Okay. It is the single most ridiculous thing I think a press secretary has ever said. It It, it is. So here, this is something we've never come across before, and I know this might be a little in-depth for pre-party. Your rating system is a perfect rating. Of spicy flubs. Thank you. <laughs> but Uh-oh. at this point, if I drink a five this episode, right. am I going to have to refer to it as a Holocaust Center? Yes. Because well, I'm not comfortable doing that at no, any level no. of rating system. You can just... Um, uh, well, that's tricky. <laughs> I, I, feel like, I guess I didn't really think about the moral implication of this rating system. Because I don't want to do that. No, you can just refer it as refer to it it's as... It's a level five flub. Level five flub. All right. That's right. We'll yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, which happened to be that flub time. Because that's problematic. Time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right. So... One more thing we have to say in pre-party. We were doing the math before we jumped into this thing. This is episode 15, which means that by the end of this episode, we will have sampled and or consumed, well, sampled 90 beers, consumed 88, because there are two still waters that we never finished and poured out somewhere. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. That's what this all is for us, folks. Okay? It's just an excuse. And thank you for that. Thank it's you. De- beer is the deductible. That's right. Thank <laughs> you for helping. So with that. Hey, wait. If we're at 88 and two more episodes, we're at 100, right? Since we poured yeah. two out? Yep. That's a nice round number. That's a nice Ooh, round number. Yeah. Just look for 17. Good math. Coming in the future. Yeah. yeah. Hot take. See, right I can there. do math, producer Ross. <laughs> and with that, we're, we're on to get that first beer on our way to 90, 88-ish. We'll see you on the other side. Caleb, what are you drinking? I am drinking a Deschutes Red Chair NWPA. Northwest Pale Ale. Which you refer to as your honeymoon beer. Honeymoon beer. Apparently you had quite a bit of it on the honeymoon. We did our honeymoon in Oregon, and we spent a lot of time at the tasting room in Portland for Deschutes. It's one of the best beer burgers I've ever had, and that, for a period of time, was my favorite beer. 
I am not a pale ale person. You are not. But that is a four for me. It is very drinkable despite not sacrificing any of its kind of hoppy flavor. Right, right. It uh, goes down smooth. I'm a big fan of it. That's so a salad metaphor. It's a level four. Uh, I'm not going to name what any of the spicy flubs are mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. reasons previously discussed. Sure. Totally fair. Uh, but yes, mm-hmm. uh, it is a salad metaphor. That's awesome. Um, what we're going to talk about today in dissecting our fun, our perennial uh, opener, is... The OG. Yeah. Going to be uh, something that's been weighing heavily on my heart lately. Are tablets good for games? And by that, you mean like iPads. Yes. Right. Yes. Not yeah. like Stone or right. Rosetta Stone. Your Samsung Galaxies, yes. perhaps. Because yes. uh, I've been playing a ton of board games on electronic devices. We lately. have two. Like, we're watching a show. We're passing potion explosion back and forth. Yes. Uh, on the plane trip, once uh, we were introduced to Lords of Waterdeep by Laura and Adam. We got it on our iPad and we played it all the way back to uh, in the flight mm-hmm. to you know distract ourselves from the numbing cold and right. the people attacking us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, paperback I'll, card games I like a lot. You know, minimizing the shuffling. Yeah, uh, I, I've I've realized I don't enjoy shuffling. Right. Uh, I kind of You're enjoy. You're terrible at it. I am really bad at You're it. An awful. Um, I am really bad at it. Uh, but I like placing pieces, places. Like mm-hmm. I do miss that when I do an extensive board game on mm-hmm. a tablet. Mm-hmm. But like I, I like if I can play a card game by not shuffling, like Sentinels, which is... right Sentinels on the multiverse as a as an app is terribly interesting to me. Yeah, it's way better than in person in my opinion. God, the amount of information, and maybe this is part of the larger issue here in this question, which is, is is it better to have an app functionally which automates all of the shit in games? Mm -hmm. And and, and do you lose some sort of the experience? And so I've been struggling with this. We we too have been playing a lot of Potion Explosion while we watch our trashy reality television at night, which we do a lot of, you know, and that's no surprise to anyone at this point. So we'll be watching Vanderpump Rules, for example, on Bravo, and we'll be passing... Is that po- a real... Th- I don't it's a real thing, Caleb. Okay. Thing. Come on. Okay. And we'll be passing... I'll take his word for it. I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> Thank you, Producer <laughs> Ross. It, frankly, is the harrowing adventure of 30-somethings in Hollywood. Or I, actually, I guess it's L.A., which could be very stressful. I don't know. Okay? <laughs> Nonetheless, we're... Wait. Isn't, if it's that's the premise of the show, wouldn't you know by now? If you watch it. Okay, whatever. We're done here. <laughs> we're, we're passing Potion Explosion and Small World back and forth. Oh, yeah. And, and so, yeah. you know, the whole time, I, A, I'm really enjoying the, the, the nature of the games. P- part of the issue I've run into, so, for example, Boss Monster also has uh, an app. Ooh. I have, is that? I have not enjoyed it. Mm. So, so part of it isn't just the experience of not playing the tangible card game at a table with friends, but part of it is just the UI is trash. So, like, mm. Boss Monster just wasn't developed very well, in my opinion. Ironic, considering its, you know, sort of origins. And, and, and frankly, terribly simple, too, yeah. you know, in terms of mechanic. Uh, it does not flow as intuitively in terms of how one interacts with the game. Potion Explosion, on the other hand, almost feels like a perfect one-to-one translation of how you actually play the game Potion Explosion. Yes. Uh, including, you know, kind of the ability to play potions that change the nature of the game and look at what other people are doing in the game. Mm-hmm. It gives you kind of the perfect information that, that everyone else has at the table, yep. which is something we've talked about before. Um, Small World, similarly, great UI. And then the question becomes, so it, it seems to simulate the game very well. It feels like I'm playing Small World. Do I lose something? We talked about Potion Explosion maybe on the first one of these things we did yeah, some it was five our, months ago, yeah. right? 
And one of the things we talked about was kind of the fun, the tactile fun of like pulling the marbles and watching them clack together, creating these kind of domino-like yes. effects. And so the question becomes, can one really enjoy a simulated version of a thing where much of the enjoyment comes from the tactile nature of the thing? What has struck me is that I have been as impressed by the animation of the game, and it has felt no different playing the app as opposed to playing the tabletop version, other than I'm not sitting at a tabletop. So that has not been an issue for me. Has it been an issue for you guys? So I, I recognize that when I'm playing it on the iPad is because the tactile situation is a obstacle I'm not willing to overcome. So we could be playing it physically at the table sure. while we watch shows as well, but then you're up, you're down, you don't have food. You, yeah. You're not passing it back and forth. Uh, you got shuffling going on. You need a table that's a certain height, you know, right. that kind of yeah. stuff. I recognize that the tactile things are what is driving me towards the electronic medium. And I am impressed at the design of a lot of them. So Lords of Waterdeep is another game where you need uh, a lot of information about the other players to figure out what they're doing. So you can figure out what to go for or who you're going to start screwing over and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And it's a game that does it very well. I, I'm also super impressed by uh, games that let you finalize your turn. That's my one complaint about Potion Explosion is that there's no back. I, you hit the wrong God, button. I couldn't agree more. Or or push the wrong marble, right? Yeah. And suddenly it's it's done. And and whereas, you know, at, at a live version of the game, a tactile version of the game, I could put marbles back. You know, mm -hmm. yes, it would require some piecing together of things which have occurred, but at least I can do it. But on more than one occasion, I have pushed the wrong marble because I've got, you know, like, I'm just fuck up a finger movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and that's it, right? I mean, strategy for the turn is over. And, and some of the really good ones, like Lord's Water, you can go back a turn. Uh, Sentinels in the Multiverse, if you're playing by yourself, like you're playing all the different characters, right. you can go back any number of terms you wish and kind of experiment with wow. like alternate histories of the game because you cool. are playing by yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm also really enamored with the way it does the counting for you, so it speeds up play quite Very a bit, important especially in things with like Small World, Small World, Lords of Waterdeep, with yeah. lots of counting. Yeah. Uh, or with even with paperback where you're counting up, you know, cents to buy your next card. Yeah. Um, but but I am concerned. Because I am enjoying it as much. And here's the thing. Uh, I think apps are great when it's like Alchemist. And that it is right. additive to the experience. Supplemental. It enhances. Yeah, supplemental. It replaces something that's unpleasant. Complimentary. But it keeps the experience as a core existing. Sure. This replaces the experience. Absolutely it does. And um, I am concerned for two reasons. So first off, these are selling for quite a bit of money. And I am paying happily quite a bit of money for yeah, them for sure. buying games i already right. own right so i worry that uh and this is my least common worry I, i'm not sure it's going to happen but if it does i'm sad i worry that like the mobile market for games is so huge and you can make so much goddamn money in it right that the video game space is already stealing copiously from the tabletop space sure but doing so without anything else if they start poaching actual tabletop designers to do mobile shit yeah because they don't need to know the coding, but they can just design the mechanic. And they start making like mobile-only games to sure. share these mechanics. They realize, oh, people like passing an iPhone back and forth or passing an iPad back and forth. This is a form of play that we can you know, get people on without tying ourselves to board game IP. Yeah. I'm worried about that brain drain. Right. And secondly, I'm worried about the focus and what I think the focus of the tabletop renaissance that we're currently in is the fact that we want to be less connected to those devices, mm -hmm. more in time with people, 
like sitting around drinking at a table talking with your friends. And if it's going to remove or replace that, that's really scary to me both for the tabletop game industry because that's where what I think is driving the market. Sure. And it's also like what I love about the experience. I love going over to your house or you coming up to my house and like playing games with yeah. you guys. Yeah. And I would be like super depressed if over a amount of time we're just like, yeah. This is my game room. Meet you on Potion Explosion online. So I think that does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. So you've kind of like lobbed two criticisms here. I want, I want to take them in kind. The first is this brain drain idea, right? Like, w- will this lead to the probable? I feel that's relatively of- unlikely, but. It's on the table. Right, but it's worth exploring. That's what we yeah. do here, right? We explore weird things, uh, particularly about board games and beer, I guess. So so do, do I think it's likely? Mm, I don't know. I, I, I could certainly see some value in it. I, I guess if, I'm, if I can't resolve the likelihood, the probability. So let's assume for a second, yes, it's probable. It's likely. In fact, it will happen. D- does that matter to me? And the only way that I can answer that question, does it matter if a game is an iPad version or a tabletop version, is to ask myself, well, had I not played Potion Explosion as a tactile, marble-moving game first, I'd only played the iPad app, would there be some sense of loss there, some sense of gap? And I don't know, because I think I would still enjoy the game. It's non-falsifiable. I can't know that's the nature of experience and yeah. time, as I understand it. But but I suppose if it's, if it's inevitable, which I'm assuming, and I'm not sure that it is... Um, that doesn't mean we, we we still can't create quality experiences that require strategy and thought and conversation and, 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 and brain mapping, which is what I like about games. One of the yeah. things I like about games. The other thing I like about games is the cultural component, which you've you've mentioned. This is kind of your second concern. Uh, th- this notion of... My more immediate concern. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we make almost every weekend out of getting together for four to six hours or more and drinking it's beer. It's a ritual upon which I rely. That's right. And playing board games. Yeah. Um, I don't think that 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 to me is not a market question it's a consumer question. That will that will likely not go away for me because I just enjoy that experience so much that even if I never got to play another new board game again because there were no more new board games, there were only iPad apps, I would maintain the board games I have so that we could sit and play them because the experience of sitting and playing them at a table with, you know, you and Sarah and Brandy is enjoyable. It's a part of part of my identity. So I worry more about the the market in your first criticism, which is at some point it may just be more lucrative to do one over the other. It's decidedly more yeah. lucrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in terms of the in terms of the cultural aspect, you know, we are in a board game renaissance. I think where it's a great time to be alive if you're a board gamer. I think that so much of that was a was a choice by humans to claim that ground and say, no, 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 I play board games. Mm-hmm. And I do that collectively with mm-hmm. groups of people because that's what I do and I enjoy doing it. I don't know that that goes away. I hope it doesn't, I guess is what I'm saying. I hope it doesn't. I, I feel like it could be a feedback loop at some point. Because I know gamers and I know that we uh – uh well, we everyone knows at this point that we are punctual people, and while we may be busy, if we miss a board game night uh, that we agreed to go to, something seriously has gone wrong. Yes, and it's acceptable. Right. But like, once we make that time and we make that commitment, we're there. We're there. It's not how most gamers operate. Right. No, that's absolutely true. They are not very punctual people. <laughs> right. On the on the whole. Right. Not to paint with a broad brush, but. I'll paint with a broad brush if right. it's accurate. Yeah. If I'm painting a whole garage yes, yes. full of late people. The sky is blue. I'm going to use a broad brush. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so my concern is these board game groups start migrating more and more to these electronic devices. Sure. You know, these same people that can get addicted to WoW and, like, lose everything to that. And, like, it becomes easier. It becomes the passive least resistance. Sure. They stop buying physical copies. Yeah. 
and then it stops making less feasible copies. Sure. We have less games to play. Right. We stop meeting less. Yeah. Along with all the other people. I, I, that's the, that's how I see it going. Like, I never see you being like, ah, fuck Caleb. Right. We'll play Sentinels online and. Yeah, I will stay in my yoga pants or something. Okay, I don't have yoga pants. Okay. I just want to be clear about yeah, that. Yeah, no, he definitely doesn't. <laughs> right. he def- I definitely didn't. And if I that, yeah. and if I did, frankly, you would all want to see me in yoga pants. So, <laughs> so walk that back. I don't see yeah, that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do worry, like on the whole, perhaps like the path of least resistance. Sure makes a less exciting and diverse game space than we currently experience. No, I, I think there's a definite risk there. One last, one last question I have for you. So you've now played, in large part, both, both the, the produced versions of these games and the electronic versions of these games. Would you say that, that it has diminished the quality of experience uh, moving from, from one version to the other? Uh, so on the iPad? Yeah. Uh, I would say that I prefer playing uh, specifically larger games like Small World, yeah. Lords of Waterdeep, and Potion Explosion in person. Sure. Um, quite the reverse, on the other hand. Like, Paperback, which is a great game. It's the perfect iPad And game. Hardback was just recently on Kickstarter. I'm excited to do it. Um, very much more enjoy dropping that on the iPad because it's so fast and so quick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and because – and Sentinels – uh, for the same reason, even though I have way more excuse to do it with Sentinels, because there's a shit ton of setup on Sentinels yep. and a lot of numbers and tokens to keep the track of. Math. Oh, the math of it is, and like having the computer just do it, so so wonderful for sure. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of card components where I'm actually preferring it online, and that's what scares me. Like, yeah, I I'm you're doing turning it. into what I'm worried. Absolutely. About. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Uh, no, re- really interesting conversation. Uh, uh, you know, I-, I guess our message to, to, to those of you who listen because of the game thing, play board games and play their, their electronic supplements, I suppose, as yeah. it were, or counterparts. Okay, uh, grab another beer and we'll be back in just a second. Spencer, what are you drinking? All right, so this is from Boulevard Brewing Co. in Kansas City, Missouri. It's their Hibiscus Goza, a sour ale brewed with sea salt, coriander, and hibiscus flowers. Mm. It's absolutely true. All of those things are in there. This is a really interesting beer for me. It's definitely a a four. Okay, it's a four. Flub level four. All right. Um, here's what I really coriander. like. Coriander. You don't seem to. You're not typically a coriander fan. This is what I was going to say. I don't like coriander in beer. Uh, yet what I found is the hibiscus, which has kind of a nice subtlety to it, and some of the sea salt actually cut some of the coriander mm. that I don't care for typically. So really light, really easy drinker. Could probably have a number of these and be pretty happy about it. Um, not a five for me because it didn't change my perception of what beer could be, but certainly a four in terms of, man, this is really drinkable, and I would buy more of these as compared to even other gozas that we've sampled on here. So way to go, Boulevard. Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, in this segment of Armchair Director, we're going to talk about something Sean suggested we talk about. Uh, and we're going to talk about our top three DreamWorks slash Pixar films. Love it. Can't believe- surprised we didn't get to this already. I was going to say, I can't believe we haven't discussed this earlier. This Sean, is a conversation we've good had read, a Sean. number of times. Yeah. yeah. And we totally whiffed on this. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I'm going to be just really honest here. I struggled mightily with finding three, just three. So the first thing I did is said, okay, I think Pixar, by way of quality, is better than DreamWorks. Pixar produces more quality than DreamWorks does. 
So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to make my top three Pixar films. Then I'm going to go back to DreamWorks and see if any of the DreamWorks films sneak into the Pixar ranking. And if not, I'll just go with the top three Pixar films. Uh-huh. That was the way I resolved kind of these these two mildly different Your sort systems. of Sophie's Choice <laughs> That's right. over this? Okay. That's right. And here's what else I have to say as I make a bunch of caveats for how this worked in my brain. There were four movies that I can't put in the top three because there are three movies better than this collective four. But there are four movies that I have to give significant honorable mentions to, and I don't feel bad for doing that because quality work deserves quality mention. All right? Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, The Incredibles, and Up are phenomenal films. They just happen to, in my opinion, not be the three best of the whole lot which I had available to me. They are four through seven in some order. But they're not the best. So that's that's how I've done this math, okay? All of that to say, number three on my list, the third best DreamWorks and or Pixar film is WALL-E. I fucking love WALL-E. I completely agree with this. Here's something that I need to tell you not about. Not your honorable mentions, but it's also my number three. Okay. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. Hot shit. Okay, so here's some weird things about WALL-E to me. WALL-E violates what is at its core for me the premise of an animated film, which is like rewatchability and fun. Because Wally isn't all that fun and it's dark, and not all that it's real dark. In fact, Wally is the "there will be blood" of the Pixar universe. Okay, it's deep, it's rough, it hits you in the fucking groin. Okay, and when it's all over, you are better for having seen it. Hey, we're children of the '80s, so if a children's movie or a, even a teen movie for us, it's got to have some darkness. That's it's right. got to have something hidden in the closet. That's like, right. It's got to have some fucking it's teeth. Not- it's got to be sharp somewhere, yeah, or else hurt. we're not into it. Like, I, I watch Dark Crystal, man. Like, that's right. Yeah, if there's not at least a little bit of nightmare fuel in it, yep, it's, yep. it doesn't make it doesn't make the uh, the sort of sugary sweetness of the childhood wonder pop. And you need you need some base there. And Wallyhood's base is motherfucking apocalypse, it's and he's apocalypse. a new life form. Like, right. I love it. Yeah, and and uh, you know, you're spot on with this '80s reference. It has the John Hughes like almost classist lusting after someone outside of your your obvious attractiveness, right? This Wally Eva thing is reminiscent of some kind of wonderful or all of the other great and, John and Hughes making romance the musical gaps. his sort of MacGuffin yes. oh as God. like just sort of this meta cue as like we're going to be telling the story as physically as possible. Right. That's absolutely right. Like through the act the physical actions the of these characters because we understand what animation is supposed to do. That's right. Brilliant. Uh, the first time we watched Wally, Brandy fell asleep because it was like very late at night. And Wally is not a short film. Wally is like seven hours long or something. I don't know. You know, it's like four DVDs or some shit to get through. She woke up as the film was ending, and I was just like, so- I mean, a wreck, sobbing. She wakes up to see me sobbing, and her first instinct is to ask, "Oh my God, what happened?" And I had to tell her what happened was the end of Wally. Okay, so I had to admit that I had glasses off. Hands over my face, snot running down my tear-blazoned cheeks, functionally, that I was, I was sobbing so hard because this robot and this other robot clearly loved one another. Yeah. I was in the theater when we saw it, so I managed to hold it together off my sheer fear of so- social shame. Yep. yep. Uh, not that I didn't want to cry. I did. 
But I had to hold it together because there were many people there that would mock me. Sobbed like a baby. Uh, have have watched it one other time. In one of the life. benefits of the theaters you don't get very often watching things at home. That's you, right. You get to tamp down your emotional reactions. That's right. Okay, so that's number three for both of us. What's your number? Well, I, I oh. do want to say, you know, uh, basically your 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 scale of uh, the '80s children's film. It's not that it causes uh, is responsible for therapy sessions, but how many therapy sessions of movie is. Uh, 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 causes for you know what i mean you know like yeah and it also needs to like it needs to have some aftertaste to it like yeah. it can't be up front right it's it got to be like i love this as a kid and then you rewatch you're like man willy wonka's a he's a monster a <laughs> yeah so if it's he killed those children right? if it's just a one therapy session movie it's not you know for yeah, 20 years it later. Needs to come it's back okay. later yeah if it's three set you know right. dark crystal is at least right. a three see previous <laughs> conversation about it right oh yeah which oh, yeah. I, I still struggle to go into dark places or use the bathroom right <laughs> yeah okay yeah. yeah what's number two on your list okay it's the exact same number two as you monsters inc Holler. I, I love it so much oh. so sort of taking this um fantastical world Making it work a day. Mm-hmm. Like Goodman and Billy Crystal as the voices. Like working in a power plant factory. Like blue collar. Yeah, making it blue collar, making it work a day, making it adult, and then introducing a child into the mix and remaking it magical is just sort of this pull I'm just blown away by. Like it so could have easily been like, oh well. Pixar makes it because they make this they make these, you know, bright, happy movies that idiot kids can follow. Right. And they make it entirely for the parents. I'm yep. like, no. So the workaday thing makes it relatable for the parents. But yeah. it is still a movie full of childlike wonder. That's all like, it is. With Boo. And it's it, every little creature and the fact that like they never have a monster design. Right. Which is like even Wally repeats some robot designs, even yep. though it's fantastic creative. Every monster being individually different. Yeah. And then you want to talk about Ball in the theater, didn't care, mm. just mm-hmm. sobbing mm-hmm. on down on the floor yep. with the sticky soda and yep. the discarded popcorn, yeah, man. just emotionally wrecked when right. she goes back to that closet. Oh man, one of the saddest film moments ever, ever. Oh god. Well, and then so if you told me to cry on cue. I would just think Kitty? about. I would. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I would no, just, I okay. Now I'm crying, and now I'm fucking crying, Caleb. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just warned you that that would happen. That's really cool, man. Um, Monsters Inc. is all at once playful and beautiful and meaningful and totally all and an environmentalism message, right? That you kind of snuck in there, and 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 you know you, you're right to point out Goodman and Crystal is, for casting purposes, but also Steve Buscemi. Oh yeah, as Randall mm-hmm. is is absolutely perfect. That. Steve Buscemi already looks like a little bit of an alien monster, and then they found the way to make him appropriately alien monstered for a Pixar film. I'm convinced he's not CG. That's just what Steve Buscemi that's really just, looks that's like. That's just him. They just Moving filmed on. him. It's they like, Andy Serkis. Yeah, it's actually like a Roger Rabbit scenario. Yep. Everything else is animated around him. Around Buscemi. And he just took off his skin suit. It's that. It's that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, what's number one on your list? All right. This is where I disagree with you. Uh-oh. Incredibles is number one on my list. Ah, it is wow. not an honorable mention. It is number one. Hands down number one. Absolutely delightful. I, I can't disagree with you too much because we're talking, we're talking about layers of distinction that are almost meaningless that I think Incredibles is probably fourth on my list. And in between Incredibles and number one on my list are two phenomenal films. Um, it The Incredibles was one of the first... The Incredibles was for me reference done right oh yeah that it was so referential 
on so and yet many it levels works that's right. without on acknowledging any of the references without ever acknowledging without any getting of, any of it right the, the, on the rooftop you know you can tell a lot about a woman by the contents of her per- you know these little things mm-hmm. that are these references to throwaway lines in the you know the 1978 Christopher Reeve Superman film like, yeah are you fucking with me um, the level of nuance and depth in the writing of The Incredibles is something that I don't think Pixar has gotten back to in any of their other properties. No. no. Unbelievable. And it takes that movement of Monsters, Inc. is like, let's have this fantastical world. Let's make it mundane and relatable to the parents. And then let's reintroduce this childhood wonder. And I like that, only that's the arc. Like, right. Boo doesn't have that arc in Monsters, Inc. No. She is just the... The zany childhood adventure that literally invades this world and yeah. then leaves. Yeah. Uh, but in Incredibles, uh, the parents have literally done this. This lit- that's literally the arc. They've lost their youth. Yep. And they're going along with the audience with that. And then the tragedy is that the kids are also losing their youth that's and right. being forced into this world of mundanity. Yep. And and like just work away drudgery. Right. And the fact that everyone pulls up. Out of that nosedive at yep. once yep. is just fantastic, and I'm crying at the end of The Credibles as I'm standing up and clapping. That's right, like I'm just yeah, you did it. It also you get that Mino. It does yeah. for me the politicization, politicization. That's a tough one after a couple beers and yeah, whiskey. Yeah. It's it's difficult of superheroes. Uh, and the criminalization of superheroes, it, it does what a number of other, you know, foundational stories have done. Watchmen, Civil War, etc. You know, the, the, the political nature of a superhero living in a community. It does that with such ease and doesn't make it feel so dirty or dark or desperate. As, and I understand that, you know, these, these other stories are really trying to get at kind of this, like, really existential nature of the superhero and what does it mean. The, the Incredibles handles a, an otherwise very deep to- topic in a really fun kind of easy way to say, oh, yeah, but what happens when you also take away the people who can stop evil humans from doing evil human things? Like, no, nah, that's fucking weird. You know what yeah. I mean? Don't fucking do that. Um, okay, so. Okay. Incredibles, I don't disagree with you. It's just not number one on my list. It might change for me, though. I want to put it on one while it's still good. Yeah, that's a good idea. You've heard them talk about Cars 3. Yeah. And how it's mainly a giant anti-millennial screed. Yeah. I worry that somewhere lurking in Pixar was some boomer fucking nonsense all along because they got Cars 3 out now, which is a series I hate and doesn't rate on anything for me. Uh, Top worst three, Pixar anything. Cars 1, 2, 3. Right. Um, But I worry that it's going to be like, no, we made that because... You know, Syndrome's the bad guy because he's a filthy kid who yeah. wants to be good at stuff. It's not gonna and happen. I'm just like, mm, it's not going to mm, happen. You might ruin my favorite film, Pixar, yeah. Yeah. with this Cars 3 shit. And, it's not going to happen. Uh, I, th- I think I'm, we're safe here. Okay. Thank God. Number Go one. On. Sorry. No, no, you're good. Number one on my list. And you could take him as a franchise. You could take him as individual films. You could just take it as the first one. It's Toy Story. Um, I think that... That talk about some dark edges on your goddamn kid. What's it, Scott? What's his name? Uh, the the neighbor. Yeah, I can't fucking remember. The now. Nightmare Factory. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh. And 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 yet we all look at it and we go like, yeah, no, I knew that kid. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, no, yeah, I knew that kid was that was reskinning Barbie dolls and shit, yeah. right, for the purposes of like illustrating the apocalypse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love Toy Story. For a long time, I was wrong and thought I love Toy Story and Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 2 was an abomination. And then some years ago, I rewatched Toy Story 2 and I was like, holy fuck, Toy Story 2 is also phenomenal. They have not... That's a movie where they went a little too old for me. The, and, and almost like... 
Almost, like I didn't get Toy Story two when I first saw it. Like, that's right. To the point. Yeah, I think that was the problem. Yeah. When I saw Toy Story two, I was like, no, nah, this doesn't. Toy Story when I was nine or whatever was about like toys coming to life, and that's fucking fantastical. Toy Story and I got two was more like, of Toy Story, but when I watched Toy Story two, like, and now I watch it now, I just didn't get it. Right. Like, it's I like just oh, didn't get, I just missed the point. Like, yeah. what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. And then Toy Story 3, which, of course, I saw as an adult in the theaters. Which is a journey into hell. In it fact. is harrowing. <laughs> Literally into hell. I, I am sitting there in the theater, like, almost abusively clenching Brandy's hand, thinking, if they burn these fucking toys, I'm going to burn this fucking theater I looked down. over at Sarah's like, I really think they're going to fucking do it. Yeah. Literally what I said in the theater is like, right. I, they might really get me because I think they're going to fucking do it. But think about that trajectory. Like, that's how good yeah. that arc is. Yeah, exactly. There was a moment where, where you actually believe they were about to fucking burn the toys do you know have you seen the uh the prank video where someone took toy story 3 and re-edited the ending so it ends just as they're going in so yeah and then shows it to his mom no and she's it's like, pretty what? good it's fucking hateful yeah, it's pretty fucking good that's how it is but there was a moment where i uh, you know you think to yourself there's no way they'll do this right suspend disbelief obviously and then there was a moment where i was like i don't know this is kind of a complete journey they've roped me into here so why wouldn't they incinerate woody and buzz <laughs> um and, and then you know you come out on the other side and they've they've gone through the darkness and you're kind of looking at this like other like oh well they're gonna get thrown in another toy box and you know some other little kid is gonna pick them up and play with them and you're like great because that's how fucking toys and childhood works like you bounce through things and everything doesn't feel all that permanent even though it has a significant impact on you in that very moment um so it's toy story for me I don't think you're wrong about The Incredibles. Uh, you could make a solid argument that I was wrong about all three of those and that The Incredible Bl- Incredibles belongs at the top. But but I think what's interesting about both of our lists is that DreamWorks doesn't crack the top three. Nope. They've certainly tried. Shrek is good, I think. Yeah. I, Kung I, Fu Panda I, I love is entertaining. Smash Mouth as much as the next guy, but no thanks. Right, right. Totally reasonable. Yep. And on that note, we're grabbing another beer. We'll be right back. Dear Caleb, what is that beer? I am drinking Abita Brewing's Andy Gator Hell's Doppelbach. The Hellas Doppelbach. Hellas Doppelbach. It's a Sorry. style. Uh, have not tried it yet. True to form, new beer. Trying it on air. Thinking about it, thinking about it, looking at the bottle. Ooh, hmm. nodding approvingly. That is a... Calling uh, a four. Calling a four. No, that's a three. Oh, balls. It's a three. Okay, that's a three. Which would be a... Uh, uh, which is a spicy... Tw- which is a spicy 12. Right. That's uh, right. But uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, it's a three. That's right. If you told Spicy it was a three, he would say categorically there was evidence which suggests it was a 15. <laughs> so, so, so I guess it was a 15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so here's what we're going to talk about while you drink your Spicy 3. All right? God, Spicy as an adjective is very different. It's spicy 3. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, so last weekend, we held a fucking yard sale. Which sounds like the oldest thing ever to do, but we've talked at length on this podcast. By the way, this is your number one, number two vote pick. Yeah, the, we're, we're talking about this was a mistake. This was a mistake, and 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 yard sales are mistakes. That's the issue. Here, Typically, right? a mistake. Yes. So so we thought how how topical would it be to dis, to to discuss our yard sale? We 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 jointly, me and Brandy, Caleb and Sarah held a yard sale last weekend. We have talked in the past about the minimalist challenge that Sarah set us on this path. Of watching the minimalism documentary and then get really in, getting Throw really away into, your shit. Get rid of your shit, right? Untreat yourself, mm-hmm. in some way. but also treat yourself by getting rid of stuff. Yeah. 
And so we have four months then planned, like, okay, while we're getting rid of stuff, let's set stuff aside that we think we could sell or resell, as it were, and let's do a yard sale. We've talked about it for months, and then we actually fucking did it this last weekend. And so while normally you would say of a yard sale when it was all over, this was a mistake, we instead want to introduce some pro tips for making yard sales not a fucking mistake. Because, and I don't, I don't want to be too, too aggressive here, we fucking crushed a yard sale. Yeah. We won yard selling. Mm-hmm. Last week. And here's the thing. Uh, I come from a long family of yard sales, mm-hmm. uh, like down to my great-grandparents. Mm-hmm. Hard yard sailors. Right. We did one or two a year. Right. Your for, family tree is uh, in the middle of yard sales. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, actually first year of college was actually paid for entirely with yard sales. My goodness. Uh, before I got scholarships. That's a lot of yards. Uh, so to be clear uh, – and I originally had enough to go to Duke for four years, but there was a financial crisis. Is that a yard that I sale? For? Yeah, on yard sales. What the fuck were you selling? Uh, so that's the thing. My parents were antiques folks. Oh, okay. And bigger yeah. than that. Yeah. But, but they were miserable experiences. Mm-hmm. Miserable. And there's a number of things that they did wrong every single year. And it's not really my parents' fault. It's more of a grandparents' fault. But there's a number of things they did wrong every single year that – um, having done it right, always suspecting it, but having actually suspected it, put the ideas into practice, and done it right once, yep. I can now categorically say is a endemic mistake in the way everyone puts on our yard sale. Absolutely. Um, so mistake number one, the concept of eBay. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say eBay mm-hmm. as a thing. Mm-hmm. You can make money of it. I don't, I don't deny that. Right. But – when you say, I'm going to put that on eBay, right. have you imagined pricing it competitively against every other version of that on eBay? Getting a rating system from a third-party seller that will allow you to sell that on eBay? Right. Packaging it, doing the arcane rules of whatever country might buy it. Right. Going to a shipping location to send it away, and then receiving that money online by eBay with any kind Because I'm guessing you haven't. I'm guessing you're using eBay the way old people use eBay as a shield against defense mm-hmm. of criticisms of why are you maintaining that shit. Right. I'm betting you're not going to do any of that. So, and so any amount of money you make on it, considering you're never actually going to go eBay that, right. is right. pure profit. Right. And that leads me to my second mistake, the I got scammed or I could have sold that for more thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it always involves more work. It always involves more time. It always involves more legwork and job work and all that kind of stuff. And if that's how you want to make money, that's fine. You should do that. But you're not having a yard sale because you want to make money. That's right. You're having a yard sale because you want to get rid of shit. Right. And you'd like to make a little bit of money before you donate it all to a charity organization. That's right. And so you're not taking into account all that lost time, all that lost effort, which has economic value. It does. So if the toy dealer comes by... And says like, oh, I could sell this for $8 and you give it for 25 cents. You know what? The toy dealer, who's a professional, like Gary, lovely man and his wife. A vintage toy dealer came by our yard sale and was blown away by the collection in my basement, which I am not currently selling. Yeah. But also dug through my early 90s, late 80s action figure box, which we were letting people fill paper bags of for $3 and was just in awe of some of the shit that I had in there. He, they hung out for like two hours. Yeah. And we started talking about like vintage toilet. And he's like, I could get this for this. He wasn't trying to scam us. He no. literally told us. Right. And you know what we didn't do? We didn't like snatch it away from the quarter bin. It was right. like, no, not for you. Right. <laughs> because right. we're not going to go through that fucking time to get into the vintage toy selling business because no. we have other lives that we would like to be uncluttered by this shit. That's right. So 
here, you had a good conversation with us. You drank beer with us on the lawn right. on a lovely summer day. Shots of fireball. Uh, yeah, and this toy belongs to you. I'd rather see it go to you than anyone else. Do with it what you Thank want. you for the 50 cents I didn't have before. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Like, and, and that's it. That's, that's it. That's right. Yeah. It is a transactional relationship. Yeah. And, and to your point, then, I think that the third mistake is this notion of, like, pricing for actual value as compared to pricing just to get shit off your lawn. And that's, yeah, you're doing the latter, right. not the former. Right. I would imagine, so so I'm not I'm not bullshitting you when I say I think we probably got rid of somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 items that day. Yeah. I would imagine that 80% of them were not priced over 50 cents. I would imagine that 75% of them should have been priced over 50 cents. I don't fucking care, though, right? Because the goal was to get the thing out of my house and make any amount of money on it I could before I just gave it away for free. And enough of those little microtransactions at 50 cents or 25 cents over time suddenly aren't worth 50 cents. They're worth $100, $200, or in our case, collectively, we made over $700 on the day. Yeah, and here's the thing. People are going to say, well, this is an act of privilege and hoarding all your shit, and you're going to pretend I'm not a Marxist and I can't come at you with that shit. Here's right. the thing. Right. Labor has value. Yeah. That's precisely the thing. Your labor has value to somebody else. The per probably the person who employed you so you can buy enough stuff to have a yard sale. Right. And they're not going to give you the amount of time you need to turn all of that shit into its maximal value. That's right. But you're not using it still. Right. It is still cluttering your house still. It is still taking economic value away from your life. Get something, not nothing. You're not going to the concept of That's eBay. Right. It's the platonic ideal of eBay. You're yep. not going to do it. Sell it on your lawn for 50, 60 minutes. Here's the fourth mistake. Pricing individually. Because yeah. we had a pricing party at your house, and I will tell you, I was dreading it. Yeah. Because I was having fucking triggered flashbacks to every time I go to my grandma's house, and we individually price like these crystal vases right. that are old, and they're depression glass, and she can tell me why they're worth so much, and they're $50, and no one goes right. anywhere to spend $50 right. at a yard sale. Because let's be clear, there were, there were I don't know, 1,300 items in, in our living room the night before the yard I sale. I thought we were going to be there until the yard sale started. Yeah, I did too. In fact, I was making an argument against pricing at all the night before. Vehemently. Vehemently. Whilst drunk, because I thought it would take too fucking long. And then... Then we realized, don't price individually. How did we price things? Sticker system. Boom. Five colored stickers, five price points. You dump the sticker on the thing you're going to sell for that price. Bam. You're going to fucking haggle anyway. Right. It's the nature of yard sales. Yep. Batch them. Solid. Right there. Go for it. Mistake number five. Mm-hmm. Not drinking early enough. Oh, God. huge mistake! It was a something mixed... I wish I would have known when I was six and seven. That's right. At those young yard sales, Robert Downey Jr. If I could have just gotten hammered ass drunk, <laughs> man, everything would have been better. So, so, so it was a mixed six garage sale or yard sale, as it were. And so the day before, we bought a copious amount of Fireball and beer. We we planned to open the garage sale at 7 a.m. Did not account for the fact, but obviously know that people are going to show up before 7. I think the first guy showed up at 6.30 while yeah. we were setting up. Mistake number six, yeah. not starting early enough. That's right. That's right. They're an early people. Yeah. yeah. And they, they get up before the sun. They come in flocks is what we've learned. Yeah, yeah. So at 7, we opened our first beers. And from 7 to 2.45, it was a constant stream of Boulevard, Ginger Lemon Radler, Bush Light, 
Mother's Brewing Company's Lime Goza, an occasional fireball, and then some water to keep rinse it, and Yeah, repeat. keep it light. That's right. Not a, not a day for MILF. No, 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 no. Not a day for MILF. Not a day for anything with stout in the label, no. probably. Probably no. not even like brown or porter. Yeah, you're looking for pilsners. You're looking for pilsners and wheats and Gozas sours. And That's sour, right. Yeah. Okay, so start drinking early enough. Obviously, whatever you said, mistake six was um, because not starting early enough. Not starting early enough. You need to be up before they're up because you got to get that shit set out. So, due to competitive <clears throat> pricing, yep. Due to the amount of stuff we were selling, uh, due to some other factors, uh, you you were by far the most successful of everyone on the block. And I think at being up first yeah. was by no means uh, a, a negligible factor. In right. That. Absolutely. But here's the other thing that I'd never thought of before. This is one you guys taught me. Don't do it by yourself. The fact that you set up every other people on the block and you got your neighbors together, like, hey, I'm sure you got some shit you don't want. Yep. Why don't we do a yard sale all together? We rope the neighbors in. Holy shit. That yep. brings a lot more people to the yard. That's a really smart idea. Um, you got this sort of competitive stuff. People find it worth their time. And here's the thing. The flocking thing, right. it also works into that. So, you know, uh, some market analysis. Right. We figured out that people stop. When there's people already stopped. Yeah, the psychology of the Yeah, if the yard sale is, is hopping, mm-hmm. more people come to the yard sale. Mm-hmm. Where's, where's, so if you have a bunch of people and the neighbors out, here's the thing we had going. You get people vacating, mm-hmm. and we would be at, like, cash tables. We would be negotiating and haggling with folks. I would be getting more beer. Right. Uh, I'd be lying down in the grass because I had a lot of beer. I did have a lot of beer. Um, We'd be doing that, and then the crowds would eventually clear out, and then we'd have this lull, like right. this 15 to half an hour lull. Yeah, totally But weird. then we'd be getting out, like, pricing stuff, rearranging stuff to fill it. And when all four of us at your individual yard sale, and then all the neighbors came over, yeah. here's the thing. We were all selling stuff, but it looked like we it were all there like to buy stuff. It looked like a crowd. And then, bam. Bingo. The horde comes in. Cycle starts all over again. Yep. That's the way to do it. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Last mistake, unless you've got, you've, you've no, got an addition. Last mistake for me. And this was the the thing that I was most worried about, and we really didn't get to deal with, which was like, I, I we both have social anxiety, I w- and I think the beer helped here. Last mistake is like unwillingness to talk to people who are in your yard for fear of interacting with humans. Yeah, they've come to your yard. You functionally invited them to your yard. You need to talk to them because that's the only way you get them to interact with you and buy extension buy things. Yes, some of the interactions were weird. I had a horde banner sitting out from World of Warcraft. It was obscured by something, and there was a, 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 an otherwise who seemed like at first a very nice man from my hometown, right? Who got very excited when he saw it because he thought it was a swastika that he could add to his collection. He was terribly disappointed when it wasn't. That was late in the conversation after I talked about my family history and like where we lived and stuff. Kind of regret that now. Yeah, um, but right. You know what? I have a story about a guy who tried to buy a swastika off of me, and it yep. was actually a World of Warcraft horde banner, right. and that's priceless. That that is literally priceless. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it was worth. It was worth a dollar because that's what I sold the horde banner for. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had some weird conversations. We also had some awesome conversations. A fucking vintage two vintage. Toy dealers stopped by. We struck up a convo Gary with and Laura. Gary and Lauren. They're, Lauren. They were, they were cool. awesome. They were cool folks. And Gary started talking about the shit that he sells. And I was like, "Do you want to see my basement?" And he saw my basement, and it was like a, it was like a, you know, just this melding of the minds for the two of us. He was going through tubs. He was like, "Oh shit, you have no idea how much that worth." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> now I do." Um, <laughs> so yeah, like just Bill and Crystal David from the podcast from RPPR came by. 
Bill and Melissa came yeah, by. Bill, yeah, Melissa. Right. Yeah, we, we had, we had out, like yeah. it was kind of a party, an yeah. all day party where we made seven hundred dollars. That's like, right. That's the way to do it. That's right. So this was this could have been a mistake and wasn't a mistake. There's any number of mistakes we could have made that we did not. That's right. And I feel like most yard people, Marcel people, do make those mistakes. That's right. Also, good time to let you know that as an additional revenue stream, Caleb, producer Ross, and I will be launching a yard sale consulting business yes. for your next yard sale. Mm-hmm. We're here for you. And uh, as we as we let you ponder the economics of that, we're going to get another beer and we're moving on. Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is uh, from Bell's Brewery, and Bell's makes great beer. The Two Hearted Ale is just like one of the better we've had some I, solid I've Bell's ever had. So this is Bell's Oberon Ale, the American Wheat Ale. Um, I've had this beer a couple of times. I was happy to pick it up again today. Don't need to sample it on air because I've already had it a few times. It's solid four for me. Um, wheats are not necessarily my thing anymore, and if they are my thing, I'm going to drink a Boulevard wheat because I can just slam the shit out of those. Bell's has a little more substance to it. Having said that, it's delicious. It's refreshing. It's oddly light for a wheat, and uh, can't recommend it enough. So pick up a Bell's Oberon Ale. What are we talking about? We, in our number one pick today... Number one selection from was, You Fine Folks. Uh, living with Humans, mm-hmm. uh, our Dear Abby relationship advice segment, because, you know, you want to hear us about that. Uh, we're going to talk about um, something I found kind of interesting, my, my question. Uh, best and worst relationship advice you've ever received. Man. Like, when I saw this one, and I saw this one earlier today when I was doing some show note prep, this one sent me on like a mental path. You know what I mean? It, it's sort of you're instantly generating answers to it, right? Because right. like I thought of the I thought of bad advice first, right. and I'm just like, how would I incorporate that? That's not a way to live with humans. But right? How would we do best and worst? And then I instantly started thinking about best, and like Sarah and I had a conversation. It was great. Yeah. No, it's it. Look, it's totally weird. Uh, you know, I was instantly uh, I was instantly sent back to like odd conversations with my mom about like. You know, sex. Like, what's it like to have? You know, not what's it like. Okay, uh, should should one have sex without being married? Okay, like these kinds of like when I was growing up to be an adult thing, right? Um, Ross, can we get the clip? Yeah, that? yeah. Just like on a repeat. Ross, I need you to just like I'll loop it. Yeah, yeah. Put in put in like a different noise. I'll get a DJ. We'll make a dubstep. Like, It'll something be else happening. Yeah. You know, in an episode about flubs, um, well, this is derailed. Anyway. Listen, people, okay? So. Clown horn. Yeah, okay. If you put, of all the sound effects you could put in, if you put that one in, I will fucking murder you, all right? Okay, uh, so so then I, I kind of thought back, like, all of the things people have told me uh, about what it's like, and, and granted, I've been in the same relationship for 10 plus years now, right? We're not talking about a huge data set, I guess is what I'm saying, of yeah. relationship advice or relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, worst and best are intimately related to one another, is what I've learned. We're assuming you just want the one successful relationship to last for a while. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You, you don't want relationship advice from the shit ones, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, okay, so the worst relationship advice I've ever been given, and it's the worst because I actually listened to it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Which, which Typically the worst. magnified its impact, Yeah. right? Uh, someone told me long ago that if it isn't worth breaking up over, it isn't worth dealing with or fighting about. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. 
Of course, right? Yeah. If if you really until you think about it for half a second, until you think about right. it, uh, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, of course, yeah. If it isn't worth breaking up over, is it really that big a deal? And there were a number of years, to Brandy's credit, where I, like a jackass, operated under that assumption. And she put up with me operating under that assumption and found a way to like compress, just letting shit fester, just hide her feelings yeah. or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and I, so I, I, I'm not defending myself. There's no apology here. There, there's just only explanation, I suppose. I knew very quickly in our relationship, I hoped very quickly in our relationship, that Brandy and I were going to get married. Uh, we'd been dating like three months, and I told my mom, you mm-hmm. know, I'm going to marry this woman. And so everything after that for me was settled. Like, this is it. This is the thing. And so any issue that came up that caused conflict or difficulty, I was like, look, we all know where this is headed. So is this really something which is going to derail an obvious future or an inevitable future? And if not, is it really all that significant? So uh, I was playing the inevitability game against the intensity game. How significant is is a thing as compared Mm -hmm. to where I think the the significance of where we might end up, right? I'm I'm not saying that to excuse my approach or treatment of those situations. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying that 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 is the thing that I use to rationalize it. And a more mature version of myself, which clicked somewhere in the last 10 years, and certainly now at 30 I can look back on, uh, understands that that is an inappropriate way of treating significance or importance, that what doesn't seem significant to me might seem very significant to someone else. And so I guess it was just a lack of context or perspective taking. And uh, and unfortunately, I got that advice, and I listened to that advice, which is the thing that probably makes it the worst advice I've ever seen, which is both a comment on the comment and a comment on myself, Yeah, I guess. I'm willing to be a little open about that at this point. So uh, worst advice you've ever received? Well, I've got worst advice I've followed and worst advice I've received but never listened to. Okay. So which, which should I go for? Well, one's going to make me feel worse because I did listen to it, and one's going to so make me... So I should do the one I listened to? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got to get out there. Oh. Worst relationship advice I've ever heard. Yeah. So the idea that you don't have a relationship, you are lonely, that is a thing. Right. That's a thing I experience. It's yeah. a thing people experience. Sure. And that you got to get out there implying that you have to go out and do all the dating things like and find someone to date as opposed to you got to look, which should really be it. Right. You have to like say... This is something I would try to pursue if there was someone I would want to pursue. Right. Whereas you got to get out there as a framing effect. Yeah. Created some damaging shit in sure. my life. Yeah, the notion which I can't that all say, doors are open. Yeah, which I can't say that I regret because it led me to Sarah, and right. that's great. So right. I can't say I regret it. But, like, was it good? Yeah. No. Like, because no. that leads to, like, well, I don't want to die alone uh, and, like, a, a dweeby RP closeted rpg kid in college so i gotta go out and date someone you go to church three times a week and you think a batman is a position on the st louis cardinals um yeah we'll get together no this will go great let's try it for like four or five months before i realize this is wrong because i gotta get out there you gotta give it a shot and no i didn't i didn't like it was just it wasn't enjoyable for them right i can assure you that yeah definitely not great for me in the long run um so the idea of like dating to date and as if like dating will instantly get you towards, like, you will level up towards a relationship that you do better at. Yeah. I'm not sure that's true. I think you got to be looking for someone you're into. Right, open to. And investigate that. Yeah. But the idea that you need to, like, just, 
well, haven't seen anyone lately. Right. Let's pull the trigger on this one. No. Yeah. No. Just no. Strong. No. I hate that idea. Wasted a lot of time. Sure. Yeah. Totally. And and, and I would I would think given you know social anxiety, a, a lot to- of time, a lot of effort, total violation of your core. Yeah. Absolutely. Went to a lot of clubs. Right. Tried dancing. Thank Tr- God we were pre-camera phones. Operative term there is tried. Oh yeah, real try. Having seen Caleb yeah. dance, no, it's that's not right. good. That's right. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of beer and a lot of laughs later that you get that. Fact. You shouldn't be talking about dancing, sir. I shouldn't. You are, <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Um, okay, best advice I've received, and um, th- like I said earlier, this is intimately related to worst advice. It's, it's almost the other half of the coin. That's why it was so meaningful for for me, and it was given to me um, by. And I don't know if I've talked about Don Parson yet on the podcast, but Don Parson. Uh, was a mentor of mine at the University of Kansas. He taught at KU for fifty, almost 50 years, 49, I think, when he retired. Some people just come into your life, and you'd be dumb not to just kind of like open yourself to everything that they say and not accept it blindly, but certainly to, to really listen. And um, Parson and I were having a long talk one day um, uh, uh, just about life. Um, and, you know, he, he said to me the, the most in, one of the most important things uh, I've ever learned is at a time in a place. This great line I think I've talked about before from yeah. w- William Barrett, uh, and it's kind of an echo of a you know pre pre Socratic Greek philosopher, and it's this notion that perspective or context is important in all things, and mm-hmm. particularly in one's relationship. Yeah, because um, h- how, and that's why I think it was so striking to me. It may have been the thing for me which dislodged this notion of if it's not worth breaking up over, it's not. Oh yeah, important. that's dumb. Yeah. Yeah, let's right. do this instead. Oh my God, it's not worth breaking up over to me is kind mm-hmm. of the important caveat and or condition there. And, you know, so I say this, A, totally willing to admit that I was a meathead about this thing for a little while, uh, that, that I was dense in an area where I would otherwise not want to be dense. But, but I, I think that that was something which not only opened my eyes kind of like more generally to the, the nature of thought, but more specifically to relationships, that that the way I interpreted a thing, and I have a tendency to be stubborn and to be certain, um, you know, I put in a lot of effort before I decide on something, but I, I often have the opinion that because I've put so much effort into coming to a conclusion, my conclusion must therefore be the conclusion. Mm-hmm. And to really have to step back and examine that uh, certainty or conviction around any one way that I feel about things and say, well, yeah, but that's how I feel about them and that maybe that doesn't resonate with other people, yeah. uh, specifically Brandy, you know, it was an important moment for me. And I think it's given me, hopefully, uh, a tool set that I didn't have available to me when I was a you know dumb kid to be a better partner, which is the important thing. Speaking to that, and I'm not speaking anti-marriage in general because sure. you guys are doing great. But I think when marriage goes wrong, where it wouldn't have gone wrong had you just been in like a shacked up relationship ever, yeah. is when marriage leads to think that your perspective is our perspective. That's right. I really think that's where it goes totally off the rails. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. every time. Certainly one of the places like it goes once off the rails. You, again, yeah. I think so much of it is framing. Right. Like the, you got to get out there versus you got to be looking. Right. Uh, it, it's so much of it is how it's framed. That's right. And I really think that's the poisonous aspect it of it. It is the certainty with which I approached some things for so long. And the grace with which Brandy responded to that certainty is like shocking to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it truly is. A, she truly is a saint mm-hmm. in some ways for having done that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, pr- perspective, context, call it what you want. You know, those things are the drivers of understanding. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, best thing you've ever heard? Uh, best thing I've ever uh, heard is going to be uh, you got to do stuff for yourself. 
Wow. All right. Yeah. That's a different take. Get in there. I mean, not really. I mean, I, I think that um, you can go too hard into the couple's everything. Yeah. And I will say that Sarah is equally saint-like for, you know, dealing with some of my uh, proclivities and mm-hmm. hobbies, mm-hmm. which I'll admit the nerd shit, especially with the RPGs and RPR, that was a real bait and switch. Yeah. I sunk the hook Got deep in before there I'm like, I'm going on a podcast to play D&D. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, gotcha. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Cartoon run out the door. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? <laughs> it's your, because you did it. You did yeah. it. Right. It's your fault. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, um, very good with that. But, but, I don't demand she come mm-hmm. and like be as interested as I am in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, though she makes a valiant effort, yeah. I don't feel bad that she is not here and in every campaign or anything like that right um furthermore she's gotten really into like some arts and crafts stuff she has a running club running club which yep. she's super she's a coach which of now fucking crazy uh, she's been doing it for years she's doing half marathons and shit that i can't even imagine what even is that and um here's the thing i want to go to races i want to like support her and stuff but she's like no i'm sweaty and gross and it's early in the morning Go to bed. Right. And it's not like, uh, and, and I don't feel cheated by that necessarily. Right. Like, I don't feel like she's left me behind or anything like, cause it's her interest. And here's the thing. I, I know you have a lot of things in common. We right. will sit around and watch Great British Bake Off. We will Fucking do a. a bunch of really obscure shit, like, uh, board games and stuff together. And we have a lot of shared interests. You need shared interests. You do. But you're lying to yourself. Yep. If you say all of your interests are shared. That's right. And um, you need some time to yourself My God. to make the time together seem all the better. Preach. And, uh, and like, I'm not saying, like, it has to be constant. I'm not saying you can't leave it aside. Like, I don't game certain times because I'm super busy at work, and I would really like to see Sarah. Right. I don't need time to myself. I need time with the people I love and yep. part of my family. Yep. But, like, there are times when, like, yeah. I need to maintain that because it's healthy. And here's the thing. If it helps you think about it this way, think of it like vegetables. Like You don't have to relish it every time you're away from your spouse. Don't think man cave. Don't think like garage. Like mm-hmm. I hate being with this person. I need to be away from it. It's not that at all. Just like you need to maintain your own interest to have something to talk about other than work. That's right. You need to maintain your own interest to have something to do when they're off doing something they have to do for work or right. something to keep your brain occupied. Yeah. Like it, you, it is enjoyable, right. but if it helps you to think about it, if it feels like cheating on your spouse or something to go have a poker night with your buddies right. or to go have a poker night with your ladies, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. To, if it feels like cheating, like don't think about that. You need that to keep your relationship healthy. Totally agree. Totally agree. One of the biggest mistakes that we certainly made, I think, that a lot of couples make, at, certainly in the early stages of coupling, is that we do everything together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, look, I understand that, and it's important for bonding, but it's also okay if you don't do everything together all the time later in life. You certainly can, but you don't have to. Yes. And so, like, Brandy's not sitting here watching us podcast. Um, and she even told me she lost, she, last night, she's like, I'm not totally caught up on the podcast yet. And while I'm going to guilt her about that until she gets caught up on it. Me too. Right. Like, I totally get that, you know what, when she's in the car, because I won't let her listen to it when I'm in the car, because I don't want to hear myself talk. When she's in the car, maybe she wants to listen to more shitty pop music and not listen to me, because she listens to me all the time anyways. That's totally okay. When Sarah listens to the podcast, it freaks me out. 
Oh yeah, I'm happy. Right, it, I'm I'm keen to talk about it. But I'm like, oh my god, right? Oh, yeah, you senpai noticed yeah. me. Like it's very much, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very much like out of left field. And, right, like I get sort of like flummoxed for sure. It. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Well, so there you go. Now that yeah. we first off, biggest mistake, worst relationship you could advice you could probably take is asking us for relationship advice. But since you've already done that, uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll grab some more beers and we'll move on to something else. Caleb, what is what is that you are having now? I am drinking a brunette nut brown ale from Nebraska Brewing Company, which they could have called a brunette brown ale. I guess I would have said hey, hey, pun sound. Well, Spencer's against it from a sheer branding perspective. That's right. <laughs> okay, I got to talk about the can first. So it's a can, fucking bananas. that has like an old school pull top. So I'm thinking like it's going to be like a like an old Schlitz can or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. But it pulls the entire top of the, the can whole fucking to ring. make the can a metal cup. Yep. I don't like it. I'm perplexed. I don't I'm, care for it. I'm terrified about spilling it. This alien should thing. not have waited for five to drink this. No. Uh, the taste wise, it's sort of interesting. I like a nut. And I like a brown uh, ale. Okay. Yeah, I've, I just wanted to catch up with you, Mom. Okay, fair. Um, fair. So, uh, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it, but it's a little light for a nut brown ale. Uh, it's actually very light for a nut brown ale. It is. And that might be a bonus to some people, but as a guy who likes On Fleek and Prairie Bomb and MILF and all that stuff, uh, not a point for me, so it's a three. It's it's solid, but it's a three. Yeah, no, I think that's an accurate criticism, having tasted it uh, only moments ago. In this segment, while Caleb drinks his, like, wildly okay brunette brown ale, uh, we're going to be responding to one of your Ask Mixed Six questions. So you filled out the surveys again, and James Burns, you asked us what I thought was a terribly interesting question. Are you cult of the new? In that when a new game, board or digital, is released, you must own it. I kind of like this phrase. Cult of the new kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, it's well phrased, James. Really is. Really is. Uh, And so, Caleb, I'll start with you. Do you find yourself being compulsive need, as it were, to buy a new thing in a series that you like or in a universe that you like or any tangential relationship to games, digital or otherwise, that you're in for? Depends on the thing. Yep. Uh, so in terms of thing, um, I'm very much in that space with RPGs Mm -hmm. and I know I'm in that space. I think really this question's about distance from your own consumption because like I know I'm cult of the new and I may be cult of the new in other things, but I know I'm cult of the new in RPGs because if I see a new RPG, say for instance, belly of the beast, which just recently came out, um, I'm going to buy it if I really like the concept like I did. By Belly of the Beast when mm-hmm. it just came out. Mm-hmm. Knowing full well that between the podcast, this podcast, work, writing my own RPG and trying mm-hmm. to publish it, I will, in all likelihood, never have time to crack that game open. Mm-hmm. It will sit on a shelf after I've read it, collecting dust with all of the other RPGs that I have yet to have time to play. And yet I bought it, and knowing that, I will buy another one after it. So mm-hmm. that's full-blown cult of the new territory for sure. me. It's like, I need it because it's new. Yep. I need to read it. And yet, I objectively know my use value. I'm preparing for a yard sale one right. day. Right. Like, I am not going to be able to play that game in the amount of time. It justifies the amount of money I spent on it. Sure. So I know I'm that way about RPGs. 
I question myself about other things in terms of like, so I used to be cult of the new about movies. Mm -hmm. I used to just go and run entire wings of movie theaters. Like I watched absolute shit and I would just pay money for it. Matinees. Uh, I don't have the time to do that anymore. As much as I love cinema, uh, I will still buy DVDs if I need to own it. Right. But that that's a thing that's gone away. Yeah. I used to be about that way in music yeah. in high school. Like, I obsessively consumed it. Mm-hmm. The second it came out, it had to be new. It had to be fresh. It had to be underground. Very hipster shit. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still that kind of way about board games. Also knowing that it's going to be a while before we play it. Sure. But that's a faster consumption time than an RPG. A long while, because we still have stacks of board games that we own and have not tried. Yes. So, so this one's interesting for me. You know, I want to do the overly critical thing for a moment because I suppose that's my nature. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Well, if you were definitely not why we're not listening to this podcast. If you didn't sign up for this, then, <laughs> you know, you have wasted 14 plus now episodes and thank you. worth of your time, good sir. Okay. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about the word cult for a section, for, for a second. I mean, I, I think that the nature of the term suggests like blind devotion to, right? Beyond reason. That's kind of where I came up my definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like beyond reason. Something I can say about myself is that for long periods of time, I was very much cult of the new and that I was blindly devoted to buying new things because they were new things and something that I cared about. So, mm-hmm. for example, a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and I put together a, a Spotify playlist of like music I listened to in college, which you loathe, and I know that. Uh, I listened to a lot of screamo in college. Oh God, it was rough. And the play- rough few years. Uh, the playlist uh, titled "A Ford Focus" in honor of Joel McLeod, who drove a Ford Focus while we were living together in college, and would drive around listening to a bunch of screamo together. There were a couple of bands for me in that era. Emery, Silverstein kind of being the crux of those bands. It didn't matter what it was. If it came out, I bought it. And I bought it without hearing a single. I bought it without listening to anything. If they were near Springfield, we bought tickets to go see them, right? It was just there, – there wasn't any, any um, critical consumption there. It was all consumption, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, at other moments in my life, if Quentin Tarantino did a thing, I bought the thing. In fact, what we learned at the yard sale was that I had like 10 years worth of backlogs of posters of Tarantino films that I just bought blindly because I was kind of worshiping at the altar of Quentin Tarantino. I'm not going to say anything, but listeners insert comment here. Yeah. Okay. I was going to, I was, I was going to say something. I know that might seem weird given my Tarantino list. Ross, can we just put a beep where the listeners scream at Spencer <laughs> yeah. about his taste in Tarantino and films? A, and a beep in that last sort segment of about the mom thing. <laughs> like, if we could do two beeps this episode, that would be great. Also, I'm hearing clown horns. Right. Uh, <laughs> also, for what it's worth, like just because you guys think I was wrong about the list, that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that for a while, if, if it had Tarantino... Yeah, no, you were into it, yeah. Into it. Um, there, you know, more, but not anymore, Hateful Eight. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, there are other things uh, that, that I can look back on my life and say, yes, if it was a thing related to something, Halo. Halo game? Yep, bought it. Oh, yeah. Didn't even think about it. You know what I mean? Um, and now, here I sit at 30, James Burns, and I look at the things that I purchase, and I don't buy all that much anymore. Um, and I don't, know what, I don't know what shift that is. I don't know if it's part of the minimalism thing. I don't know if it's part of the I'm 30 and I should save money because I'm not always going to be 30 anymore thing. Um what I spend money on now are experiences. So I spend money on beer to do this kind of thing or spend money on beer so that we can sit and play games on Saturday night. And, and, and I have a pretty extensive board game shelf. 
Yeah. But that's accumulated over years. There, mm. There is not a board game or a video... Well, Destiny, I suppose. I will buy Destiny 2 with, you know, no... No. I think one game in the world of video games is not Cult of the it's New. It's not. And so I look at it and I say, do I understand Cult of the New? Absolutely I do. Much of my life is defined by Cult of the New. Only a couple of years ago, I got hooked on Scott Snyder Batman. And it wasn't even a question. Every Wednesday, I was at the Comet Cave pulling out Scott Snyder Batman and anything else that I felt was anything like it. You know what I mean? Uh, didn't didn't even think, hadn't even read the last week's issue yet. Just knew that it was Scott Snyder Batman. Knew that I was obsessed with it and so I was buying it. Uh, so yeah, I, I have been cult of the new. I've I've done that. Now I look back at the stuff I'm doing currently, and no, I'm not. And I don't know if that's freeing. I don't know if it's just one of the times where I'm not doing it, and come tomorrow I might stumble into a thing where I say, "Oh, absolutely, that that's my new thing," because I do have an addictive personality. He said on his almost ninetieth beer in this <laughs> podcast. Um, but but at the moment, no, I'm not cult of the new. But I absolutely have been. Yeah, maybe it's a function of. Paradox, in that it's a function of nostalgia. Sure. Maybe you have a great experience in the genre or with the artist or with the publisher of some sort when you incorporate something. And so you begin consuming that without any sort of obstacle filtering or any kind of framework for it. Mm -hmm. Because you sort of had this nostalgia for the previous experience, coloring everything you you receive from the Screamo band or the RPG industry or, or something like that. When, in fact... As you mature, right. or as that fades, you become a more rational consumer. I think that's yeah, that's an important distinction because uh, while I agree with you that if I were to be a cult of the new something, something, and again, this goes back to your point of distance, right? Nostalgia is the thing which closes distance between the thing and between you. And yeah, your yeah, yeah. And so I think about that and I go, well, yeah, obviously, nostalgia is a place certainly strong enough in nostalgia where I would obviously be a cult of the new person member, as it were, but. You know, Ghostbusters is my favorite film of all time. I didn't rush out to see the new Paul Feig Ghostbusters. Um, Power Rangers defined much of my childhood. I have not seen the new Power Rangers film, and we are two months out, or a month, I guess, a month out from its release date. So even nostalgia for me has lost some of its uh, gr- grappling hook effect on pulling me back to things. Perhaps ritual, then? So speaking of Cult of the New, I used to be that in comics, like extensive weekly sure, pull list. Yeah, like yeah. My Yeah, you had a fucking like encyclopedic pull list. I had I had pull lists at multiple stores around mm-hmm, town. Mm-hmm. Uh I I was into it and I sad I'm not into it still. But due to funds, I couldn't continue. Right. I, I just can't continue. Now I haven't stopped reading comments because yeah. I still get trades uh, and I still support the industry in that way. But by getting trades, I am a much more careful consumer sure. than I was when I was just like, "Oh, Vertigo put out a new thing. I guess Go I'll read. buy that." Yeah. Or if I was still on a pull list, I would be getting everything image touched because oh my god, they've yeah. been killing it. Yeah. Uh, but. I'm a much more careful consumer now because I broke the habit of my weekly yeah. pilgrimage to the comic book. Store. I like the habit ritual thing more than I like the nostalgia thing. That makes sense to me. And and, and under that framework, habit or which or, is still paradoxical. Like yeah, it is. You're a, you're a cult of the new because the new thing occurs on a weekly or That's monthly right. occurrence. It's, yeah. it's, it's actually not new. It's just the newest thing and a really old thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The 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 closest thing that I think kind of fits the cult of the new definition is I assume James Burns is asking, and I could be wrong, and so James, if I've butchered this, I'm sorry. The closest thing that I have to a cult of the new now, if I'm being honest, is probably beer. 
Oh, yeah. Mother's comes out with a new Holy beer. Holy shit, we are kind of there, aren't we? I want to try it. You know what I mean? That's a distance thing, though, because, like, right. God, that's dead on. Yep. But I didn't see it until you just said it right now. Uh, for a while, before I found out, uh, you know, about Ballast Point's nefarious relationship with Paul Ryan at some, like, you know, sub-level of political organization, Ballast Point had a new beer. Try the new Ballast Point beer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the closest kind of blind faith or adherence I have to the next iteration of a thing that I can currently think of, which... Some people Our podcast ca- is literally premised on, I have not drank that before, let us right. drink it. Some people would call that alcoholism, whatever, you know, <laughs> you call it tomato, tomato, guys, okay? Um, and, and so I think that's probably probably the closest thing I have to a cult of the new now, um, and, and I guess that resonates with you. And, and on that note, probably a nice closing word yeah. for our patrons who are not yet Patreons. If you're listening to the free version, this is kind of the end of the ride. Thank you so much for being here. Please quickly forget anything that I have said in previous segments that was obviously a function of alcohol, not of reality. No, just engrave it. We all make mistakes and say <laughs> things we don't mean when we're drunk, okay? Looking at you, everybody listening. Uh, listen, we really appreciate all of your support and patronage. It means a lot to us. The reason we do this is because people like you listen to this. So thanks for everything. If you are not yet following us on Twitter, we're at Twitter at The Mix 6, Facebook, Facebook.com slash The Mix 6. If you're sticking around for the next beer, that means you're a Patreon. Thanks so much. We'll be back on the other side after I grab a beer. Uh, and we will see you all next time.